0: Well, again, if you would, uh, take out your Bible. And let's turn now to Luke chapter 1. And today we'll be looking at verses 46 through 55. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. This is God's fully inspired and inerrant word. And Mary said... The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together and ask the Lord's blessing. Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word. We pray, Father, now God, for the preaching of your word. Be with this, your servant. We pray that we understand and apply properly this text that Jesus is glorified. That we see the, the, the great promises of, of God in this. And the blessing you've given to your people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is a popular song uh, that over the years has been sung by a variety of artists, which doubtlessly you've heard, particularly this time of year. Uh, the song wonders if Mary knew of the awesome things which the baby that she had given birth to would do, and in particular wondered about salvation which would come through him. As Mary held this divine infant on that first Christmas morning, did she know that she held the Son of God? Did she know that she had in her arms the Savior of the world? Well, I think the answer is yes. And we can have confidence that Mary knew of the salvation which had come, that the Savior was here because she had already sung about it. She had already sung herself about this child. She sung this while the baby, while Jesus was still in her womb. Mary understood that the child that she was to bore, that in, in the child that she was to bear, that salvation had arrived for Israel. Her Savior... Your Savior, my Savior, had come, and for this, she gives glory to God. Mary's song is a song of praise to God because of the salvation which had been for generations, generation after generation, had been promised, going back as back back as far as the Garden of Eden, the promise of the Savior. And it finally had arrived. The redemption of Israel was at hand. God was acting to bring about renewal to His people to save them from dark despair, from the gloom of sin and death. All the covenant promises of God were now being realized. And Mary, Mary was an instrument chosen to carry the hope of Israel to term. Notice, too, the moment in which Mary sings this song of praise was not when Gabriel had brought the the wonderful news of great joy to her, that she would be found with child from the Holy Spirit, but was actually later on when she was with a woman like herself who called her the mother of my Lord. Mary was visiting her cousin, and the baby which Elizabeth was carrying, that is John the Baptist, that child in Elizabeth's womb, in the presence of Mary carrying Jesus, jumped for joy in her womb. And Elizabeth, being filled with the Holy Spirit, exclaimed this, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The reality of the message which the angel had brought to Mary some months prior to this now began to come into greater focus for her. Perhaps she began to understand more deeply that she, a young woman betrothed to a builder named Joseph, was carrying in her womb the Lord of all. Even the infant which Elizabeth carried was aware that he was in the presence of the Lord And so Mary's spontaneous reaction to this movement of the Spirit in which those present uh, was to sing this beautiful hymn of praise to God. To magnify the awesome name of God who has brought salvation and joy not only to this house, not only to the house of Israel, but to the world. Now, Mary's song is, of course, known as the Magnificat, which is the first words or the first word in the Latin Vulgate translation. And from the earliest days of the Church, this hymn has been sung as a song of praise. It is a song of exuberant joy given by the movement of the Holy Spirit in Mary. Notice, too, that although it is in one sense extemporaneous as she uh, reacts to the movement of the Spirit in Elizabeth and begins to praise God, it's in one sense extemporaneous, but the song draws on Mary's deep biblical knowledge. Much, much of the song is made up of Old Testament quotations and allusions. This is a song which is drawing on all of God's covenant promises. This was not so much a new movement of the Spirit as it was a drawing on the revelation of God in the Old Testament. with a primary focus on the eschatological themes of redemption. Redemption had come. Which is to say... God had delivered Israel in the past through His mighty deeds, His outstretched arms. We see this in many examples in the Old Testament. Um, The Exodus story is a prime example of that. God is doing that again. God is, is coming onto the scene. The Savior is now here who would die for the sins of his people he would give life in his resurrection and and he will will bring this age to consummation when he returns again in glory on the last day this is all done because of God's great mercy and for his grace and to that end because of God's great mercy and grace this is a song of thanksgiving Mary is grateful for what God has done and is doing at that very moment. Redemption is here. Mercy has been given from generation to generation. And now, here in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, redemption has come. Just as in the past God uh, has raised the downcast, has exalted the humble, He is now doing the same thing here. And so as Mary contemplates the fulfillment of what had been spoken to her from the Lord It's connection to the covenant promises of God and now the exuberance of her her cousin who who had had spoken these words. What a great blessing you have. I mean, what a blessing it is for you to be here with me. Mary begins to sing. My soul magnifies the Lord. The heart of Mary, this young woman, was overflowing with thanksgiving as she proclaims the greatness of God. Now, as I mentioned, Mary draws on her obvious and deep knowledge of the Scriptures. Her opening reminds us of the Psalms, in particular Psalm 48, which says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. Or Psalm 34, which says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Here in this song is the heart of of a needy sinner joyfully and enthusiastically overcome with jubilation at the arrival of God's salvation. Mankind had wandered, had gone astray from the shepherd and from our God. We have each gone our own way. We have fallen into the pit, if you will. Man is often compared to sheep in this way. Sheep... At the bottom of the pit, need to be rescued. They cannot get themselves out. They will die. We need salvation. We need a gracious Savior. This is the heart of Mary. She understands what the problem is. She understands what God is actually providing for her. She was a sinner in need of God's grace, and she has come to understand that her salvation has now arrived. And this is causing her to be overcome with joy as she sings his praise. And isn't this what the people of God should do? When we understand our sinfulness, when we understand the depth of the problem which exists in our own hearts, when we see the brokenness in our own lives, when we understand how deeply sin exists within us, We begin to have that sense of desperation, sort of like that sheep stuck at the bottom of the pit. When our rescue comes, and it has come in Christ, are we not overcome with joy and exuberant praise of the Savior and our God? He has rescued us. God has rescued the ungodly and the undeserving. God didn't have to do this. You know, I think as Christians, sometimes we sort of take it for granted. Yeah, I mean, you know, God owes me, right? I mean, save me, Jesus. Don't we kind of have that conversation with ourselves sometimes? Or at least fall into that? Yeah, I'm saved. What's for lunch, right? Don't we do that? It's a good reminder for us. It's a good reminder for us to understand what we're being saved from and the sin which remains in us that we are undeserving, ungodly, and that God has saved us, that salvation has gone, has come, this ought to create in us great joy. God didn't have to do this. What joy this is for us. What thankfulness we have. This is why we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts. Christians ought to be the most thankful of people because we understand the depth of which God has gone to save us from our sin. This is what Mary is doing. This is why Mary is overcome in this way and begins to sing. This is how her soul magnifies the Lord. She is singing and worshiping God with a song which which proclaims the excellent things which the Lord has done and particularly providing the Savior which she humbly carries to turn. So I want you to notice another thing about this song. And that is the emphasis... The emphasis of her song is not on herself being the chosen instrument. That's not the emphasis of this song. Although it is mentioned somewhat in passing, Mary is not highlighting herself here in in any way. The emphasis is on God's tender mercies and grace in saving sinners, destroying the proud, filling the hungry, restoring true Israel. Mary is full of gratitude for the blessings of the Lord because His salvation had come. God has been so kind to Mary that she sings to the Lord looking upon her own humble estate. But you might ask, well, what is her humble estate? What does she mean by that? Well, she was, or soon would be, actually, the wife of the village builder. In the eyes of many, she was not one who should be regarded as an object of God's special favor. Mary was a simple and unpretentious woman of modest means. She was not a queen living in some palace. She had no clout. She had no prestige. She had no power. She was, in a very real sense, a nobody living nowhere But this is only one aspect of her humble estate. Mary was keenly aware, and as as has already been said, Mary was keenly aware that she was a sinner in need of a Savior. She was very aware of this. In fact, Mary admits this in verse 47. As she rejoices in her spirit, in God, her Savior. She knew that the greatest blessing that she gets to enjoy is not giving birth to Christ. Her greatest joy will not be in raising the God-man. Her most significant blessing will not come in her parenting. Her greatest blessing and joy will come in Christ saving her and many others from sin and destruction. Her joy is the the same in that sense as yours and mine. Which is to say, we join in singing this song with her. This is our song as well. God's favor has been given to this humble servant of the Lord such that future generations will call her blessed. And Mary was, in fact, greatly blessed, not only because of her special use by God, and there is no doubt that that's in view here also, but also the blessing of salvation, which is hers, in God her Savior. Now, saying that other uh, uh, future generations will consider her blessed, Mary is not suggesting in any way that she herself is worthy of praise contrary to some other traditions. On the contrary, she is highlighting the work of God. Generations are to call her blessed because of the marvelous way in which she was honored by God in carrying Jesus in the salvation which she too is a recipient of. Far from seeking glory for herself, she is humbling She is humbly highlighting the mercy and mighty work of God. And so Mary's soul magnifies the Lord. Because as she continues her song, He who is mighty has done great things for me. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is His name. It is here now that Mary begins to give the reasons that future generations will call her blessed. The Lord of all, the great and mighty God, the creator of the universe, He has done many great and mighty things. He is the one who is holy. He is the one who is gracious. And He's the one who's done great things for me. Mary may perhaps be drawing on Psalm 71, verse 19, which says, Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You have done great things. O God, who is like you? Who is like God? Now the mighty deeds of God are not confined then to the miraculous conception. As amazing and incredible as that is, In fact, that's essential. But it includes the reality of who that child is. Which Mary carries. This is Christ. This is the Son of God. The Creator God. He is holy. He is mighty. He is also merciful. His salvation has come. And even now is here. But the salvation which he offers isn't, again, confined to one person. It's not just confined to Mary. It's not confined to this humble servant that generations will be called blessed. It is to all those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary's Savior wasn't for Mary alone, the Savior had come for all. And so, what is Mary singing here? She's singing of redemption, which is now present. The mighty God, who in the past had done mighty deeds, is now again doing a mighty deed. This is a mighty deed of God. And this will result in salvation of multitudes upon multitudes of people. This is what is declared later in Revelation chapter 7, which which speaks of great multitudes, and no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Generations and generations, multitudes upon multitudes, salvation has come. This is what she's declaring. The Lord has brought salvation to Mary and to the world. And people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Salvation has come. God's power is on display. Mercy is given to those who fear the Lord until the end of the age. From generation to generation to generation. Mary is perhaps paraphrasing Psalm 103. Verses 17 and 18, which says, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. God is pleased to pour out His mercy, His steadfast love. He does this in all generations, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I've already said that you and I are a people in need of great God's great mercy, and we are needy. We are needy because we are sinners, and our destiny would be eternal destruction because, at the core, we are rebels against God. But God's mercy in Christ gives us life from death, and because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's great mercy and grace has been continually poured out on his people from the days of old and has continued to up to this very day and will continue into the future on that day when Christ returns in glory. And those who are among uh, the redeemed of God are those who are made children of God by faith and are members of the kingdom. And God's mercy is freely given. But notice a small qualification. God's mercy belongs to those who fear Him. The mercy which is extended to man is limited in scope. It is limited to those who fear the Lord. And who is it that fears the Lord? Those who have been given a new spirit. That is to say, those who have been transformed and enabled to fear Him by the Spirit. Those who have been born again. Remember that the sinner is dead in his trespass, trespasses and sins. God's regenerating spirit makes dead sinners alive, spiritually alive. Man cannot naturally fear the Lord, but they can when they are transformed by God. And then they are. They have their hearts and minds filled with regard, with reverent regard for God. They become as those who genuinely are devout, true followers of the Lord. Those who fear the Lord. Those, the psalm points out, who keep His covenant and remember His commandments are those who love and fear the Lord. And to fear the Lord is to honor the Lord. To follow the Lord. To follow His commandments. To follow His revealed will. It is only Spirit-filled people who can do this. And Mary recognized God's mercy and grace and the need of men to fear the Lord. Men must fear the Lord. And she also understood the grace which enables those to do that. She saw in her humble estate the need of God's saving work and His tender mercy to do so for her and for others. And so in saving the world, the Lord is... Going to set everything right. The Lord will actually turn everything upside down. And this really brings us to our next point, starting in verse 51. Mary sings of God's strength as He scatters the proud, as He brings down the mighty, as He exalts the humble. Now, it is here in her song that we reach a climax. This is the great reversal of all things. And this comes about because God has personally entered the scene. The mighty one doing great things for this humble girl and for the the souls of many is now expanded in greater detail in a general display of his power and might. The coming of God upon the course of human history and the person and work of Jesus Christ, the promised Son of God. This is the strength of his arm. Now, of course, Mary is here speaking uh, anthropomorphically, which is when she speaks about the arm of God. And In other words, Mary is using human imagery to describe something about God. But we know that God is a spirit. God doesn't have a body. He is not like man, though man is created in God's image. And so the arm of the Lord is the strength and the might of God in his actions, in his mighty deeds. And now God, coming into the world, taking on flesh, he is now turning everything on his head. There's, there's actually something radical about Mary's song. For God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down mighty from their thrones and exalted those who are of a humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He sends away empty. This is the world upside down as we know it. Or in reality, really, it's being made right side. There's a reversal of fortune. The hungry eat. The proud are laid low. And their sinful thoughts are scattered. Those who occupy thrones, they will be cast down. Those who are humble, they are going to be raised up. And this is very similar imagery to what Hannah speaks of in Psalm, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, which we read earlier. The adversaries of God, who have built for themselves, who have built themselves up, who have attempted to make themselves mighty as if they had a mighty arm, they are going to be destroyed. All that is wrong in this present world we made right at the coming of the Messiah King. And by the way, God has always destroyed the presumptuous power of sinful men. Consider the Tower of Babel. Consider many other places in Scripture where God does this. In Christ, the humble will be exalted and the self-exalted will be humble. The hungry will be fed and the so-called rich, they will go empty. And God is going to care for the hurting. God is going to care for the downcast. He is doing this. He is going to cure all that plagues this world. But first, his work in doing this first begins with dealing with sin. God first deals with sin. Those who are of the world and the dark systems of the world will ultimately be destroyed. And those who are humble, those who fear the Lord, those who... Follow Him will be exalted and redeemed. You'll notice that there are great eschatological overtones in Mary's song. This is is looking forward to the cross, but she's actually looking beyond the cross. She's looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. Christ is reconciling all things to Himself by making peace by the blood of the cross. For it is at the cross of Jesus Christ at that pivotal moment that the world is to be turned on its head. That event in time and space has ushered into what we would call the last days. We are living in the last days. In these last days, the kingdom of Christ is proclaimed. The captives are set free. The lost sheep are found. The humble are exalted. Sin is defeated. And the battle of principalities and powers continues until the last day. When Christ returns. It is here that the redemption of Israel that is at hand. And the hope of redemption for the nation and for the world is seen. Because the king is to be born. The king of kings who will come and turn this present darkness upside down. And will bring light to the nations. For you and I, we're we're nothing in this present world. We too are nobody from nowhere. But in the kingdom which is to come and even now is here, a spiritual kingdom in Christ, you and I are someone, we are heirs. We are children of God by adoption. Looking, So we look forward to that reality. This was the hope of Hannah and Mary in their respective songs. The reason... That God is doing all of this is because of His great love, which is proclaimed in His covenant promises, promise of mercy and of peace. Throughout all of redemptive history, if you look back over all of the Old Testament and all of the New Testament, Throughout redemptive history, the Lord has helped the people of Israel. He has continually rescued them. He has continually helped them over and over and over again. Again, think about the Exodus story. Think about the book of Judges. Think about you know, up to the Babylonian captivity. God is always rescuing His people. Isaiah records a similar sentiment in Isaiah 63, 9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. The Lord does this for his servant Israel. God's covenant people, he does this out of his great mercy. Just as in the past when God had so often helped Israel, so again God is helping his people through the coming of the Messiah. The redemption of Israel, true Israel, had come. The Lord has spoken to the fathers of old, to Abraham, to all of his offspring, and now he is speaking to us through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham himself could only see dimly the promises which were to come, He believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. God had promised that through him all the nations would be blessed, that the Redeemer would come through his line, but Abraham would not see this himself. In fact, many generations of people would not see it, though it had been promised. Perhaps there were some who wondered, had God forgotten his covenant? God did not forget his mercy toward Israel. generation after generation had God come, but God had helped his people. God did not forget and does not forget his people. Galatians 4 four and five is instructive here. but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those who are under law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. God's purposes in delay were to fulfill the fullness of time. Because another way to say it is this, Jesus came at exactly the right time. This is the same reason, by the way, that there is still a delay today. When is Jesus going to return? When is he going to come back? When is he going to usher in the fullness of the kingdom? Maybe he forgot. No. He will return at just the right time. The fullness of the Gentiles has not yet come. All the nations have not yet come to faith in Christ. Well, when will this be, you may ask. I don't know. No one knows when this will be. We can't know. All we can admit is that God will act at just the right time. And when it happens, we will say, yes, this was exactly as it was to be. And so we wait, just as the Old Testament saints waited for that day of redemption, the day which now had come for Mary, as she sings the song of praise. And so the covenant promises were st- stretched back to the garden through, with Adam, through Abraham and Moses and David, and finally to realize now in the womb of Mary. Even as she sings a song of praise, the seed of promise planted in the soul of the nation of Israel had now begun to germinate. And so Mary rejoices in her God and in her Savior, the Mighty One of Israel, the Mighty God, the Helper in the time of need, the God of promise and the one who is even now speaking to his people in Christ Jesus, Mary in this sweet song of praise is exhibiting great faith in her Lord, her God, and her Savior, and your Savior, and mine. As we step back for a moment and evaluate the main point of Mary's song, I think we could see this, and I've I've said it so many times, it's almost repetition, but we can see it's actually quite simple, and it's this, salvation has come. Salvation has come, and you and I can rejoice and be glad. For all that is wrong will be made right in this world. Sinful man will be made to fear the Lord and will be saved. The hungry will no longer hunger, they will be fed. And the proud and those who have presumptuously taken power, they will be laid low. And sin will be forgiven and done away with. And all will be made right and as it should be. You know, in many respects, this is not actually a typical Christmas text. I know it usually, it almost always is done this time of year. But it's really not actually a Christmas text, which primarily is concerned with the first coming of the Messiah. Mary's song has deep eschatological overtones, it speaks of the end of all things. I suppose in one sense we cannot speak of the first advent of Christ without speaking about the second coming of Christ. And so Mary as she sings of the last the, as she sings the last days had drawn. And she's overjoyed because salvation had come. And you and I are invited to be overjoyed with her. We too are the beneficiaries of the blessings of which she sings, and of the things that we look forward to at the the completion of all that Christ is doing. His redemption. The world is being redeemed. The the, The gospel is going forth, is being proclaimed to the nations, and the captives are being set free. We were among those captives who've been set free. God's promises are being realized. Christ Jesus had come to save sinners and to reconcile the whole of the cosmos. And the fallen condition of this present world is being and will be finally and completely renewed. God is fixing the world in Christ. And for this, we can rejoice and be glad. Our souls can magnify the Lord. And so as you read the scriptures, as you think about the significance of the birth of, of Jesus Christ during this season, let your heart dwell on the whole story. Let your heart dwell on the whole story. Not just the birth narrative, but the whole story. The story of redemption. You and I are in the last days. Through the proclamation of the gospel, the good news that the Savior King had come to rescue and forgive sinners, the world is even now being turned upside down. Or rather, right side up. This ought to cause our souls to magnify God as well. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the redemption that has come through him. We thank you that Jesus is making all his enemies to be a footstool under his feet. That he is even now defeating sin. Sin which remains in our own hearts. We thank you that he's redeemed us through, his, through the cross. We thank you that he is transforming this whole world. And so we look forward to that day when he returns. We look forward to the new heavens and earth, but for now we wait. Oh, help us to be patient as we wait. Help us to be faithful to your truth, that we would be a people found to fear the Lord. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.